Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As on every Lord's Day, as we enter God's presence, we come realizing He is holy and we are not. So we confess our sins. Uh, Scripture calls us to confess our sins. Matthew 15 is our Scripture reading today. Hear God's Word. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Thus far the reading of God's word. Now this all seems very un-Christmassy, but what is more Christmas than traditions that we repeat? The tree, the Christmas Eve service, certain recipes on certain nights, kids tromping through the woods on a scavenger hunt stockings, presents. Now, apply all these traditions to this passage. Jesus is saying that sometimes we use tradition to avoid obeying God, to avoid honoring him. Unbelievers do this outright. They substitute Santa for the Savior, so they don't have to think about the point of the holiday. But we too can slip into this sometimes through sheer busyness or just not thinking about what we're doing. When you give presents, it's because God gave us the ultimate present, a physical savior to save us and to restore our world. That isn't some artificial Jesus juke move. It isn't meant to take away from the joy of the present in your hands either, but it is the real point of the holiday. If your traditions are not helping you to rejoice in God your savior, then adjust them until they do. Traditions should bring joy, and they should bring rest, and they should also point to the point of the holiday. As far as Christmas goes, that point can be summed up in just one word, which we'll consider today, incarnation. This reminds us of our mother sermon this morning is John 1, the first 18 verses. Hear God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, 
and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, every major holiday, uh, I feel a lot like Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride, who tries at one point towards the end of the movie, um, what's the guy's name? Wesley. He wakes up and Montoya says, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. That, that's how I feel today. This might feel like a scattershot sermon a bit, several unrelated points uh, to make regarding Christmas and incarnation. The main point, though, is with the coming of Jesus, we know the presence and the goodness of God. And we incarnate that also for others. That's the main point. So you have the outline there. We'll start with the history of it all, the Luke 2 story. And then look at the meaning of it from John 1. And then a few points of application. So first, the, the story from Luke 2. And, and of course, it begins before Luke 2. As we uh, went through the service last night, we start with Genesis 3 and all the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, pointing ahead to Christ, right? 6,000 years ago to Adam and Eve, uh, God promised that a seed of Eve would come and deal with this serpent's ruination with a final blow. And Jesus does that. That new hymn that we sang, this little babe came to rifle Satan's fold. It's an interesting way to put it. And Jesus puts it similar ways in the gospel. He comes to plunder the strong man. That's what he's doing. That's why we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Because he's, it's not just that he's come and he's with us, but he comes and he does something about the serpent. So that, that's what's going on here. The promises that have been made about that are uh, coming to fruition. That's the first thing about the history. We have two more. The, the second one is about the angels, and the third one about the shepherds. Uh, notice in, in the story in Luke 2 and in Matthew 1, all the angels. Uh, angels announce things that are going to happen. First to Zechariah in Luke 1, and then to Mary, uh, to Joseph in Matthew 1, the, to the shepherds. All the supernatural events, uh, all these are an assertion that God is doing something new and unique in redemptive history. It's a point we often forget. We, we, we get focused on the, more the sentimentality of the angels and you know, the, the golden trumpets and, and everything, right? And, and the, the angel on top of the Christmas tree, maybe. That's, that's all good, but it, it's, it's all meant to remind us that there's something supernatural going on here. Um, just a side note to, to uh, make a, a theological point. Parts of the church think that miracles, uh, the presence of angels and so on, those things need to be done and seen publicly to demonstrate that we have true faith. 
But that's not it at all. Uh, miracles the, the, uh, and these things, there are large swaths of centuries at a time in the story of God's people of no recorded miracles. Uh, but yet there were plenty of faithful men and women during those times waiting for the Messiah. No, miracles are done by God. Angels come to announce, uh, to, to demonstrate that God is doing something new or saying something new. And so that's why these angels come. They come to Zechariah uh, and to Mary, and, and their responses are key. Uh, the, the responses are key. Zechariah and Mary, sorry, I, I do shorthand for Zechariah in my notes and just say Zach. So <laughs> when I do that, sorry. Zechariah and Mary, they both respond with almost the same wording, right? They say, how can these things be? How can that happen? Zechariah said it, not believing. But Mary says the same, almost the same thing, believing. Just wondering how it could happen. Right? And that's interesting, that sometimes we can be saying almost the exact same thing, things, Christmassy kind of things, and one can believe and another can really be wondering, uh, doubting and cynical in, in the heart. Well, their responses are key. And that's, that's a point for us all generally. When the word of God comes to us, what's our response going to be? The angels come to Zechariah, to Mary. They come to Joseph, too, in Matthew 1. Joseph is an interesting case. Joseph is almost always sleeping when the angel comes to him. I don't think that's a, a knock on Joseph. It's just that it's nighttime and it, it's time to get up. Every time the angel comes to Joseph, it's three or four times, I forget the exact count, the angel always says, arise and go, right? Like there's some urgency, like Herod's coming to get you, or it's time to go back to Israel. Uh, we did a Christmas program one year uh, in a former church, and the, the child who played the angel did this really well. He just had this kind of southern accent. He said, get up. And every time he came up on stage, that's all he, pretty much all he said to Joseph, get up. Four times in a row, says the same thing to Joseph. And the interesting thing I think about Joseph is he never says anything. He just does what the angel says, which kind of fits, right, with, with faithful men. Sometimes, you know, faithful men aren't so much of, of words, but we're to be of actions. And Joseph is faithful, and he does what the angel says. So his response also is faithful. So you have promises made. You have the angels announcing these things and the response of faithful men and women. And then you also have the angels coming to the shepherds in Luke 2, which we also read. The shepherds in the fields. And I wanted to share something a bit, maybe something new to you on the history of those shepherds. Uh, this is the city of David, it says right in Luke 2. Right? We often, I don't know that we're often brought up short by that. But it doesn't say Bethlehem. It says the city of David. Which sometimes, some might think, well, that would be Jerusalem because David made Jerusalem the capital. But actually, David, the house and lineage of David is Bethlehem. That's why Joseph goes to Bethlehem, because that's where he's from, because he's from the line of David. So you go to Bethlehem. The city of David is Bethlehem. And Jerusalem is only five miles away, roughly, from Bethlehem. They're very close. And the flocks of Bethlehem, uh, very many of them at least, we know from the history, the flocks were Levite sheep. The Levites were raising these sheep as acceptable sacrifices for the temple. And if people brought a blemished sheep to, to the temple, the Levites would inspect it, look it over, and disqualify it. 
But then the Levites would have to have an acceptable lamb ready for them to buy so that they could still worship. That's how things worked. That's how, sometimes how the Levites and the priests uh, opportunistically gamed the system and overcharged for those sheep. That's what Jesus rebukes them for later on. Anyway, the Levites worked to have an inventory of sheep ready. And the flocks on the hills of Bethlehem were some of those. And every time a new lamb was, for God was born, they would inspect it to see if it had a blemish. And if it did not, if it was an acceptable sacrifice, they would wrap it in swaddling or tight clothes so that the lamb would not injure itself in the few hours or days after birth so that it would stay acceptable for sacrifice later on. That history is fascinating when you think about what happens to Jesus and how the angels announce things. Jesus was the perfect lamb, born and bound for the altar in Jerusalem to atone for the sins of the world. Another interesting historical facet is that David was born in Bethlehem, raised there. Jesus, too, was born in Bethlehem. David, later in his life, he establishes Jerusalem as the capital of the new nation to unite the scattering tribes. And it worked. And David was born in just the right place to unite the nation like that. He was born just a few miles from that capital. Jesus, too, was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And he makes the ultimate sacrifice five miles away on Calvary to establish a new nation conceived in atonement by his blood. I got to riffing on Abraham Lincoln a little bit here. Try this on for size. Christ establishes a new nation conceived in the atonement of Christ's blood a on a proposition that all men are saved by his grace. That government of the Father, by the Son, through the Holy Spirit, shall not perish from the earth. That's the ultimate reality. David was the founding father of Israel, in a way. But Jesus reconstitutes it better. So that's some of the history. The promises made, the angels announcing, the shepherds in the fields. And the incarnation is the seminal act that founds a new nation, God's people. So let's consider now more the meaning of that story from John 1, and especially uh, verse 14. Uh, that's a verse we often go to, and we ought to. John 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And you probably have heard enough, enough of the sermons. You know that that word dwelt is in, in the Greek tabernacled, right? Uh, God set up his tent like the tabernacle among us. That's really important. And the point of that is that God is present. God is here. The Word became flesh. The Word that was God, verse 1, took on flesh and lived among us. But it's a, it's, it draws on so much Israel uh, Old Testament um, history. It, you know, back in the desert, when Israel had come out of Egypt for 40 years, and they have the tabernacle set up, one teacher put it to me like this once. Everybody's living in tents. And, and how many children were in those tents and had the, you, the common experience that all of our children sometimes have? They get scared at night. And, and what does a parent do to comfort a, a child who's scared? We have all kinds of things that we do. 
But one thing they could do back in the, the desert of Sinai was to take them outside of their tent and point them to the only source of light, the pillar of fire and the light in the tabernacle and say, God is there. God lives here with us. He's in the center of our camp. God is with us. In a sense, that Emmanuel concept was not new to Israel at all. Of course, it comes true in a unique fulfillment sense in Jesus. We even sing of this in um, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. We sing, Round each habitation hovering, see the cloud and fire appear, for a glory and a covering, showing that the Lord is near. That's Emmanuel. And it's right there in the tabernacle. The Israelites had that concept. They were immersed in it. And Jesus comes and he is the new tabernacle. His body is the temple, John 2 says. And that's the gift, verse 16 of John 1. Of, the, of his fullness we have all received, grace for grace. The law was given through Moses. Notice John points back to Moses again. He's, he's hinting again. Think of Moses. Think of the tabernacle. But grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. That's the gift. The law was a gift. The tabernacle was a gift. But surpassing grace beyond Moses, God himself is the gift in the person of Jesus. His body, the new temple, the way we know God's presence, the way we draw near to him, the way we are accepted by his sacrifice, all in the person of Jesus now. It makes me think of 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So, that's the gift. And, and the, the meaning, again, I haven't even gotten to the word incarnation. Uh, most of us know this, but incarnation is, simply means, you see the word carn in there, right? In, carn, and then the shun. Carn is just coming from the Greek carne, uh, which means flesh. Right? Sometimes you see that on a restaurant menu, right? Al carne. That means there's some meat there. Right? Or we talk about, or we talk about carnal desires in a negative sense, right? That, that, that means fleshly desires. It literally means flesh. That, that's carn. And in, so you put in in front of it, and you've got the, the, the infleshment. That's what incarnation means. So that's why Hebrews 2 puts it how it does. Uh, who does uh, Jesus help? He helps the sons of Abraham. He helps those who have flesh and blood. So to help them, he had to become like them. Right? So not, it's not angels that Jesus helps, it's men. So he becomes a man. And we need to be careful when we talk like that, when we say God has to do this, or God has to do that. You've got to be careful saying that kind of thing. What does God have to do? Right? You're on thin ice when you talk that way. But if God's word says it, take note. And it literally says it in Hebrews 2.17. He had to be made like his brethren. God tells us, I had to do that. So at the cross, we think this. We think Jesus had to be without sin for that to propitiate God's wrath. Right? At the manger, on Christmas morning, we think Jesus had to be fully human or his birth is no help. But he was. 
He was fully human. That's the meaning of the incarnation. So how has life changed? A couple of points of application and then we'll be done. Um, Let's see, I've got four, it looks like. First of all, uh, just kind of a something that we've been focused on in the last 10 or 15 years in our denomination, especially this point, material stuff matters. Material stuff matters. Jesus took on human flesh. Physical stuff is not a hindrance to spiritual things. Uh, Our hearts and our uh, corrupt thoughts make physical things a hindrance. Uh, They can become that. But physical things in themselves aren't a hindrance. It's only because we're we're depraved, not because the physical stuff is depraved. That's a very important point. Uh, The great theologian Bono, just kidding, I I like him, but um, he comes up with a good lyric now and then. And one of them is in the song Vertigo. He says, your jungle is, your head can't rule your heart. A feeling is so much stronger than a thought. Your eyes are wide. And though your soul can't be bought, your mind can wander. It's interesting. He's depicting the jungle of of depravity there. We can't control our desires for physical things very well. We have a hard time with that. We can't keep our physical bodies from making us tired, sad, sick, grief-stricken, riddled with pain. All kinds of things go wrong physically. But the solution isn't to eliminate physical things. It's to get a better governor of ourselves. And that's what we have in Christ and in his spirit. So this is why reveling in physical stuff at Christmas time is a good thing. We don't have to be Grinches who begrudge uh, all the excess. Christ has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So wrapping paper and twinkling lights and sweet candies and presents and blankets and hugs, visiting relatives in person, these things flow from the reason for the season. A physical world restored from its misery and headed for joyful, complete restoration. Material stuff matters. It must because Jesus went out of his way to become flesh and blood. So that's the first thing. Uh, Second, give yourself in all of your giving. Give yourself in all of your giving. Uh, There is a way to give, I think we all know, that gets rid of. That that, that doesn't doesn't move toward the person, it moves away from them, right? Every panhandler on the street or phone solicitation you get, you get that kind of sense. Like, well, if I just give them a little bit, then they'll go away, right? That's the opposite of God giving to us. And we need to imitate God's giving. He gives Jesus so that we might draw nearer to him. So give yourself in all your giving. When you give for your family, don't do it as a transaction, as if, well, now that I, and I've given now, so now I deserve some time for myself since I gave for them that much. People can tell. Kids especially can often tell. If you're giving to buy them off, or if you're giving to be with them, to truly help. Give yourself in all of your giving. That's the second one. The third one's a bit bigger. I wanted to go back to um, Exodus 33, uh, and this would be the main point of application today for us. And that is the presence of God, the Word of God, is essential. It's essential. 
I find that word, every time we use the word essential now, I think of COVID, right? You, you had essential services and essential businesses, right? And, and we, the church kind of learned during that time, are we essential or not? The word of God is essential. Being with God's people, the presence of God, it's essential. You need it. We all need it. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And think historically what had happened for Israel. They had come back from exile, right? 400 years before Jesus, roughly. They had their land. Uh, some like to talk today about needing a people and needing a place to have a solid identi identity. And there's some truth to that. But Israel in 10 BC had both. They had their land back. They had their community. They had their rooted town, clan, village. What they didn't have was the God's promised Savior. What they didn't have was their king. They didn't have their own nation. They had a tyrant usurper in Herod, and everyone knew it. So now if you're wondering, yes, I'm hinting here a bit at the recent nationalism debates and also at our, our typical over-reliance on politics, right? Part of the message of Christmas is political, but it isn't necessarily what we think, right? Matthew 2 especially shows us that God can outwit the rulers of the earth and all their schemes, right? Herod's trying to kill Jesus, but God's not going to let that happen, right? Now, Wicked rulers are still very dangerous. Just ask all the other mothers of Bethlehem. Right? They're dangerous. But Jesus does not come the first time to overthrow those Herods. He doesn't come to give Israel their nation back. And I think that's part of the Christmas message. You need the presence of God. And it may come in a form of weakness and service that you don't expect. A baby in a manger. What you don't need to be a faithful believer right now, believe it or not, you don't need a nation where everyone loves and believes in the Lord Jesus. What we don't need is a faithful Christian in the highest political office of the land. Herod replaced by John the Baptist. Now, I'm not saying there we shouldn't pursue those things doesn't mean we shouldn't work towards those things. I think we should. But Christmas and the whole New Testament brought none of that. What it did bring was atonement for our sins. It did bring the Spirit beginning to disciple the nations. And all that came because first came the presence of God. So we need the presence of God. We need the redemption of God more than anything else that we think we need to give us stability in this world. And that's what Exodus 3 illustrates. I, I love the, the uh, intercession of Moses there. Uh, it's, a, it's a great type of Christ, honestly. Uh, Jesus, uh, in a way, also intercedes for the Father to be the presence of God to his people. And that's what God says to, to Moses. He says, I'm not going to go with you. This is right after the golden calf, right? So God says, I'll send my angel but you take your people who you brought up out of Egypt and just go to the promised land without me. I'm not going, God says to Moses. And I didn't read the whole passage, but Moses tells Israel that, and the whole nation just comes out of their tents and just fasts and laments 
at this, at this bad news. The word is literally this bad news. And so then Moses goes back up and intercedes and says, hey, you told us you were going to take us there, but you don't, you're not saying how now. Go with us. Paraphrasing. And so God relents, and God says, my presence, verse 14, will go with you, and I will give you rest. And, and Moses, with the, the Jewish chutzpah type of intercession, after God makes the promise, Moses then keeps arguing. And he says, if your presence does not go with us, it's like, he just promised that he will. I'm going to make sure. Your presence has to go with us. Uh, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. So there's, the whole chapter just emphasizes in bold uh, highlight that the presence of God is essential. Uh, if God doesn't go with us, what's the point of going to the promised land? It's no good if God isn't there. Heaven is not going to be great because all of your friends and family are there. Some of them maybe won't be even. But heaven will be great because God is there. His presence overwhelms everything else. His presence is your present on Christmas Day. Lacking the presence of God in your life is a very real possibility. That's another lesson to draw from Exodus 33. This is Israel after they've been redeemed from Egypt, after they've put the blood on their doors at Passover. And now they've done this golden calf thing, and God has said, I'm not going with you anymore. What? This is a very real possibility. This is the, the, the sobering part of Christmas. Uh, we just watched Christmas Carol again last night, and you see it there in Scrooge. How, how is he going to respond to these spirits? If he responds the wrong way, you see his grave and nothing more. And that's the future. But no, there's a better, a different way to go. Part of the point here is that after redemption from Egypt, after the manger, after the cross, after you've heard the good news, you can lose the presence of God in your life. Now, I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. Don't mishear me there. But you can be exposed to the gospel, taste of the heavenly gift, Hebrews 6, and then walk away from it. Don't let that happen to you and to your family. Parents need to bring their children into God's presence frequently. That's what, that's what we're, we're, the service here is designed to do. Church leaders are called to bring God's people into God's presence. You, you, should, you should know, you should feel in your bones that Christ is speaking to you when we read the word, when the word is preached. Christ is here. He's speaking. Parents have, parents have that same task with their children. Our task is not just to raise obedient children, children who uh, are appropriate. It's to bring them into God's presence. That's dad's job, usually. It's mom's job when dad isn't there. But each and every one of us need to find ways to bring God's presence to our heart and mind. In past generations, we called this doing your devotions or having a quiet time, right? Whatever it is, it's vital. Know the presence of God. Experience it once again. 
especially on Christmas Day of all days. Lastly, pass on the presence. Just a short point here. In our little ways, we pass on the incarnation. The cliche has been around for a while in the church. Be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? That's, that's actually a good saying. There, there's ways to use it in a, in a trite way when it's the wrong moment, but it's a good saying. When you give Christmas presents, you are doing this. When you give a word of encouragement, you are passing on the presence of Christ. In many churches, they do this right during the service. They call it the passing of the peace, right? Everybody gets up and uh, in many churches, it's become more of a casual thing. You just shake hands and say, hey, how you doing? How you doing? In more liturgical churches, they, they do it a little bit better. You know, you, you actually say, the peace of Christ be with you and also with you. can be a very good practice if it's done well. In Christ, God has been good to us. He's given us what we truly need to restore life from its brokenness. And that's our calling as little Christs, too. Go out and give people what they need. Not always what they want, but give them what they need to restore life from its dark brokenness. That's our calling as friends, as parents, as neighbors, as church members. With the coming of Jesus, we know the presence and the goodness of God. And we incarnate it for others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving to us uh, life and light uh, in the coming of Jesus. Life and light to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. On this Christmas day, Lord, let us look to Christ for all that we need. Lord, he gives so many gifts. The presents under our trees are, are paltry compared to what Christ gives us day by day by day. Uh, let us see those gifts, use them well uh, to fight for him, uh, to build community uh, with him and rooted in, in him, uh, to raise families, uh, to establish, uh, to expand, uh, to make known the kingdom of God on earth. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, the ever-living Lord, the incarnate Giving us an understanding of Simeon's desire 
he was looking for the ultimate consolation, the salvation of Israel and the arrival of the anointed one. His response, which we sung the last few weeks and we'll sing today at the end of the service, demonstrates his faith and devotion as he recalls the promises of God's word, understands their fulfillment, and then rejoices that the salvation that was so long waited for will not only save Israel, but will be a revelation to the Gentiles as well. To quote Calvin in this passage, he says, Now if the sight of Christ, while he was yet a child, had so powerful effect on Simeon, that he approached death with cheerfulness and composure, how much more abundant materials of lasting peace are now furnished to us, who have the opportunity of beholding our salvation altogether completed in Christ. As God's elects, let us give thanks for the gifts that are furnished for us in this meal, the body and blood of Christ, shed for us that we be redeemed and united to Him, our faithful Savior and King. Let us come to this table thankful for the redemption that is ours in Christ, revealed to us by His Word and Spirit, trusting in Him alone for our salvation. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.